Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. If we've never met before, it's good to see you. Whether you're engaging online, you're in the room. Uh, today we have a treat. We have a, a guest speaker with us. If you caught the hosting at the beginning, you already know and you'll be quizzed on his name later. Uh, Steve Fleming is here and Steve is one of our overseers. He and Beth are incredibly significant to Lee and I and we're really grateful to have him. So I want to I welcome him up and I would love to pray for him before he, um, before he speaks to us. God, I pray that in these moments as you speak through Steve that, that you would continue to, to move in our hearts, that you would show us what it looks like to live in your way of life. God, we surrender these moments. Whatever we have going on, whatever is distracting us, whatever we're bringing in, God, we don't just pretend like it doesn't exist. We lay it at your feet and believe that your word does not return void. Speak to each one of us individually in a way that is undeniably you. God, speak through Steve. We're thankful for Steve. As a church, we are grateful for Steve and Beth. Would you bless them and bless this time that we have together? God, have your way. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Collective. It's great to be with you today. Uh, excited about uh, the study we're in the middle of, the way of Jesus, because uh, the ways of Jesus are not necessarily our ways. Um, and uh, that becomes, I think, more and more obvious. Uh, the longer uh, we know Jesus and the longer we, we walk with him. Um, but it's not any easier, quote unquote. Um, sometimes the hardest thing is to know more, because uh, now you have a responsibility or you think you know more. Uh, the older I get, the more I know, but I, the more I realize I don't know. So uh, that's probably a healthy way to look at it. You know, we're in the study in uh, Luke 15 is where we're going to be today. And uh, in the, the study of Luke, we're, we're leading up to uh, actually about chapter 19. We're not going to be there yet, but uh, today is actually Palm Sunday. And by chapter uh, 19, uh, we're into Palm Sunday, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Uh, this discourse, and there's a whole lot of things that are being shared in these chapters here. Uh, Jesus has been teaching up in Samaria and Galilee. Uh, that's the north end of the uh, Sea of Galilee. He goes over the Jordan into the east side, which is what they call Perea. And he's making his way down to chapter 18 to Jericho, and uh, Jericho, it's about a four-hour walk, if you, if you just hike it, uh, to Jerusalem from there. So he's probably on this, in this passage here, he's got a 40-day walk that they're in the middle of, um, 40 hours, sorry. And uh, he is talking along the way, so you know when you're talking and you're strolling, it takes longer. Um, it, it'd be like a 40-hour hike. Uh, which you're not going to do, and you're not going to do this in all day. So the, the thing is broken up into days, and he's staying different places, and they're talking as they're going along. The way of Jesus is he's talking as they're walking. And so that's kind of where we're at today. 
uh, as we look at chapter 15. And uh, the first three verses in, in Luke 15 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, the religious, complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying. So accusations came from the religious uh, leaders of the day, the teachers of the law. Now, they were complaining because he welcomed uh, these, these sinners. The Amplified Bible says he accepts, receives, and welcomes. So there's an accepting, there's a receiving them, and then he welcomes them. Um, but they were, they were very hypocritical because they really didn't see things, uh, life from God's perspective, and that's something that's common to all of us, to try to not just think our own mindset, our own experience, uh, our own education, our own upbringing environment, um, but to, uh, to really stay open to what God is saying in his perspective. I was, uh, I was called one night many years ago, uh, about 9 o'clock at night, uh, by a couple who had gotten into a fight. And uh, they'd had some challenges before that, and they called for help. And so I went over to see them. And uh, they were in total disagreement. But I, by about two hours later, I had them in agreement. They both hated me. And uh, the reason was because she wanted me to choose her side and he wanted me to choose his side. And I actually came in on God's side, uh, which he loved both of them. And there was some truth to both of what they said. And then there was another truth that both of them were not aware of. And then there's another piece of that truth that they both chose to forget. They say the problem with half a truth is you're never sure which half you have. And, uh, but God has all the truth. And if you can just understand that God knows more than you, he knows more than all of us put together, he knows more than all the people in London, uh, then perhaps we'll understand that we serve a God who is infinite, has all knowledge. And so when we don't think we figure something out, we don't understand it, don't be shocked and don't be surprised. But you're going to have to hold on to some things that you know when you don't understand. And when you don't understand, you trust. So the, the, these uh, religious leaders who were hypocrites, uh, they were satisfied with what they already knew, and they were protecting their position in power. They were not free men. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, going through the, the AD Bible uh, series right now, which is really quite enjoying. Um, but it really does show the fact that Rome is in control here, and the religious leaders are not. They are allowed to, uh, to have their position as long as they help keep the people under control and don't create a problem. And Jesus, on the first day he shows up at the temple, creates a problem for them because he is not politically correct. It never has, never will be. Uh, he believes he's God, and uh, so he speaks as such. But they were holding to the law that they knew but they miss the heart of God behind the law. And that's what Paul talks about when he goes into Corinthians. And he's talking about the letter or the spirit. So you can have the letter of the Bible and miss the spirit of the Bible. So it's not just what is said. It's what is meant by what is said. Uh, the law is not a problem. Jesus said the law is good. Actually, I came to fulfill the law. Why? Because the law came out of the heart of God and God never changes. So when we see a law that we don't understand, we take it in light of the New Testament and what Jesus has accomplished, but we realize it comes out of the heart of God. So there's a spirit of behind it, the spirit behind the law that God is after. And uh, it's that spirit that is living within us, the Holy Spirit, 
who actually illuminates the word and shows us the motivation behind what God tells us to do. So in the way of Jesus, Jesus is going to tell us how we should live our life. We can say yes or we can say no. He won't make us. He will influence us and encourage us. He'll say, actually, I got a better way for you, but you're going to have to trust me. And that's really what being a disciple is all about. In Luke chapter 14, uh, somebody maybe dealt with this last week, but he, he, he asked this question, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because I don't think that was the only day. In fact, we know that that was not the only day that Jesus healed, but he almost always healed somebody on the Sabbath because it really bugged the religious leaders. And, and, and it was showing their hypocrisy. Because he said, Every, any one of you, if you had a donkey, who falls in a pit, you're going to pick him out even if it's the Sabbath. And that was true. In other cases, he said to this woman, shouldn't this woman, this daughter of Abraham, be set free because, you know, and again, he used the idea of a donkey, because if your donkey fell in the ditch, you would pull it out on the Sabbath. So it's not about that work, quote unquote. It's about what's the point of it? We're trying to give life, and to give life is okay any day of the week. Today, though, we're in in an environment of self-preservation, just like the hypocrites. Uh, It's me first. Looking after ourselves, protecting ourselves, it's all about us. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. So right off the bat, it says seek first the kingdom of God. And, 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 that, and his righteousness, which means his right way of being and doing. And that's the order. You have to be right before you can do right. If you do right trying to earn it, uh, that's a problem because none of us can earn it. We're in, a, we're in a season of self-promotion. Social media has, uh, has a double-edged sword. Uh, more concerned about who is following us than who we are following. I may suggest to you in the way of Jesus is more about who are you following as opposed to looking to see who's following you. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So you can tell someone who's safe to follow is if they are following Christ. Every one of us is supposed to be safe to follow, but that's a matter of Time will tell. Uh, Jesus said, let another promote you. And he said to the hypocritical leaders, he said, you choose the best places. You, you choose the best seats. Um, but uh, he, Jesus' way was, let another person promote you. And the self-indulgent. Well, that means I deserve to experience and I want everything I can get. I want my cake. We used to say it. I want my cake and eat it too. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about what you want to eat, drink, or wear. Not that they're not important. They're just not the most important. Uh, those three things actually are very common, what to eat, drink, and wear. Those are the three. The lack of those three things are, is what describes poverty in Deuteronomy 28. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about not having enough. Seek first the kingdom of God, and it's in the same passage, verse 34, where he says, Matthew 6, your father knows what you have need of. Today, I just entitled this passage, The Father's Heart, The Father's Heart. And uh, the, the result of this questioning by the religious leaders um, causes Jesus to go into a discourse of three parables all about the lost. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. A parable is the truth hidden in plain sight for those who don't have ears to hear what the Spirit was saying. That's just a working definition for us. The the secrets of the kingdom are for disciples 
And everybody else hears it in parables, in story form, to try to hide it from those who are really not interested and expose it to those who get it. So we find this first story, the, the parable of the lost sheep, and it's 99 sheep are safe. He says to you, which of you? Uh, you know, and then he says, a man. It's interesting because the, the, the sheep one is about a man and the, cost, the coin one is about a woman. Because he says uh, there was a woman, there was a man, sorry, that had 100 sheep and he lost one. 99, he leaves them in the wilderness. Now, nobody leaves 99 sheep that are safe, unsafe. So in the wilderness, they're usually in a cave. They're going to be protected. But he goes after the one. And uh, when he finds that one that is lost, now I want you to notice this word lost because it's a key word, lost and found. We think, well, lost, I lost something. Well, it's not just I misplaced my keys and they're lost. We've all lost something before. Um, and in my house, everybody would look where they thought they might have left something. And they'll go, I can't find it anywhere. And then I make suggestions about where they should look. And they'll go, well, it wouldn't be there. And I said, well, if you don't know where it is, how do you know where it's not? And once you've looked everywhere you think it could be, then you start looking at where you didn't think it would be. We were babysitting our, uh, three of our granddaughters the other night. And it comes bedtime, and uh, the oldest cannot find her bunny. That's a problem. You know, that's a problem. <laughs> and so we're searching high and low, and best with the two younger ones upstairs, and we go hunting through the, through the main floor, and we're looking everywhere, and we can't find his bunny, and we went through everything twice, and we can't find it, and she goes, well, maybe he's in the basement. I said, were you in the basement? I don't think so. So, well, let's go take a look. So we go down to the basement, and as she gets down to the bottom of the stairs, all of a sudden, she has this moment, aha, I was down here with Bridget, and she ran in. I know where it is, and it was dropped right beside her dad's desk. Because she was down there earlier getting a blanket out of the closet that she forgot. So it really wasn't lost. It was just misplaced. That's not what we're talking about here. This word lost uh, means to destroy, ruin, death, punishment, to kill, perish, or lose. It's a much stronger word. In fact, I, I was surprised to find that it's exactly the same word that Jesus uses in John 3.16 when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish or be lost, hmm. but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sins. He did forgive us of our sins, but that's not the only reason that he came. He came to give us his life. In fact, if we go on, verse 17, 18, 19, it talks about Jesus not coming to condemn the world that the world was already condemned. In other words, we were lost. We were being ruined and destroyed. And the root word of this word lost actually is the same, the same as if you ever heard this word, uh, the destroyer. Are we saying about the deliverer today? Well, there's a destroyer. And it's from the same root. Of to destroy. So Jesus came, John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life, and thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, speaking of Satan. So this lost, that Jesus is referring to, the sheep that's lost, is one that he's trying to make a point. He's not talking about sheep. All right? He's not talking, he's talking to them uh, to, in, in a language that's hidden, and he said, uh, 
The lost one is important to God, is what he's saying. Now, this just person, he says, uh, he didn't come about just for, what, just people who do not need repentance? It's a funny kind of comment, because actually everybody needs repentance. But the only people who repent are people that realize they need to repent. The reality is that Jesus could help anyone, but he can only help those who think he can help them. That's where we're at. Do I think that Jesus can help me? Do I think I need help? There are a lot of people that are lost, but they don't know they're lost. The ones that can actually get saved are the ones that know they're lost and they're looking for an answer. And it doesn't matter if they have lots or little. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, older or young, male or female. It doesn't matter. It just, just the fact that they know that they're lost and what they've done has not satisfied and they're looking for something else. And this is what happened to religious leaders. They were not. And when he found this sheep, this man went back and said to everybody, come and rejoice with me because I found this sheep. But Jesus said there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than just people that do not need repentance or don't see that they have a need. This uh, repentance, the Amplified Bible says, change, changes his mind, abhorring his errors and misdeeds and determines, determines to enter with a better frame of mind into what God has. That's what happens to all of us. We change our mind about being in control and we give our lives to Jesus, admitting that we were lost and on our way to ruin and destruction without him, but he is our deliverer. It will change the way you sing that song that we just sang this morning. If you, if you get that. Well, this is what Luke 19.10, he makes this statement. Luke says this. For this purpose, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Matthew makes note of this as well. But this is said to, after Zacchaeus. That the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Those who know that they need help. Now, Jesus came as a shepherd. And the early church thought that this was a parable that he was telling about himself. Um, when, I, when I was growing up in a church that I grew up in, there was a picture of Jesus and he had, had a sheep around his neck, you know? Well, you can find that in the catacombs of, of Rome, pictures of that, because that was something they thought he was telling this about himself, and it's, it's possible, but certainly it was his purpose in coming. He was seeking lost sinners to redeem them, and that's the most important part of his mission. And God of all heaven rejoices, he says, when one comes home. It's a big deal. In fact, it's the biggest miracles when somebody's life turns around from destruction and they enter into life. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, the news is you're already entered into life. My mother's 96. She's ready to go home. She, she wants to see Jesus and my dad and, uh, and, and a bunch of relatives. And so she, she's ready. She wakes up in the morning going, okay, I'm still here, God. <laughs> uh, so it, why? Because the reality is, and the truth is, she, she will not die. She will go from life to life. Absent from the Lord, present in the body. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. They're, they're, we are already in eternal life. And so we walk in this place and we're supposed to live without fear 
since, you know, as Paul used to say, I'm a dead man walking. All right? I crucified myself, my own life, and now the life I live is, is Jesus. So whether I die, whether I live, uh, it's, it's to the glory of God. When heaven rejoices, this word rejoices, actually it's conjunction, two different words joined together. And when you put them together, it means to celebrate in conjunction with someone else or to greatly rejoice with other companions. In other words, it's not a rejoice you do on your own. So when somebody gets saved, we're all supposed to rejoice because heaven's rejoicing. When somebody gives their life to Christ, just one, per, just one person, heaven stops pauses and rejoices. Now in heaven, there's worship 24-7. So when God is looking for, he's not looking for worship because he has all the worship he needs. He does look for worshipers. He looks for people who are responding to him out of gratitude, out of love, and respond to him and we worship him. We lift our hands. That's yada. We, we play with our instruments. That's zamar praise. You know, we, we bow on our knees and that's toda or barach. Uh, kneel to kneel before the Lord. There's many different ways. Yada is hands to the Lord. Many different ways that we praise God and worship God. We do that because our hearts are full and we release ourselves to God and we're so grateful for what God has done because really we've been taken out of death and destruction and given eternal life, abundant life and fullness. And included in that is forgiveness of sins. But it's much bigger than just forgiveness of sins. We didn't get saved just to go to heaven. We get saved to be a part of Jesus' mission here of reaching the lost. And that's where God takes us. He brings us into a place where he, he shows one more um, parable here of the lost coin. And it's not, it's not a big thing. It's just kind of reinforcing. He says there was a woman. She had 10 coins. And she lost one. And these were very, very important coins. So I won't digress to go there. But these were very important coins. Uh, they're worth some money, but they, they're a whole lot more valuable than that. And she loses one, and, and it says that she what? She, she sweeps the house. She searches. Well, first of all, she lights a lamp. Lights a lamp. Oh, there's symbolism in this. Jesus is the light of the world. It sweeps the house, searches carefully until she finds it. No effort is too much to find the lost. Great implications for all of us here. And then she says, come and rejoice. I found it. Same word. Everybody, come and join with me. Jesus repeats. I said to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then comes this parable of the lost son. Or I like to say the parable of the father's love. There are two lost sons in this story. We only talk about one, but there are two lost sons. The um, younger son represents all those who are in the pride of their heart, decide to live life their own way, which always leads them away from God and into sin. The older son represents those who have a form of religion and outwardly keep his commandments, but whose hearts are far from him and his purposes of the kingdom. The father... At the request of his son, the younger son said, God, give me, give me my inheritance. And so the father actually gives him as he asks. Do you know sometimes you can ask for something that's not good for you and God will still give it to you? We won't go there too much today, but he divides the estate up this way, one-third and two-thirds, because two-thirds is for the older son, the firstborn, one-third to the younger son. And uh, a little while later, he takes off with his, and he wastes his possessions. He wasted his fortune in reckless and loose 
from restraint living. That's what the Amplified says. We, we talk about the prodigal. The prodigal means wasted. So the, the, it's about the son. The prodigal is about the son who wasted his goods and his, he was wasting his life. He ends up uh, with nothing, and he had friends until he doesn't have money. Boy, that's true today. As long as you're on the upside of life, you might find lots of friends, but as soon as things aren't looking all that great, you may just lose some friends. You find out who your friends are when things get tough, and sometimes it's shocking, and sometimes it's really heartbreaking. But you don't know. We always say you don't really know what's in somebody until... You live with them or work with them. I say at work, you really don't know what <laughs> is in somebody until you tell them no. As long as you're saying yes, everything's good. But as soon as you have to say no, something happens. Transformation, the opposite, comes forward. But anyways, this guy is now feeding pigs, which is the lowest job for Jewish men. In the story, this is like really bothering them. You have to remember that these stories are not for just you and me. It's for these hypocritical religious leaders who say that they care about the law, but they're missing the heart of God. So when he came to himself, it was his need that caused him to remember. When he's hungry, all of a sudden he goes, ah, oh, my dad's servants all have enough food to eat. Hmm. Hope began to draw him. When people see their need, Hope begins to draw them that perhaps something could change. And, but he devised his own plan. Interesting, he's still trying to earn something, just like a hired servant. If I come back, if I go back and I say, Dad, I sinned against you, uh, you know, let me be a hired servant. And so he's coming up with his own plan. Do you ever come up with your own plan? Just in case God doesn't have a plan. <laughs> just in case Jesus doesn't come through this way, if Jesus doesn't work out, you got another plan, you got a scape route planned. Well, Jesus is showing his father's heart in the parable. That's the point. It was in the lost sheep, in the lost coin, in the lost son, because God is seeking. Jesus came, what, to seek and save the lost, not the ones who thought they were okay because they can't be helped. You can only be helped when you realize you're not okay. And that's all of us. But you just have to know it. You just have to be able to admit it. Jesus, I need help. Great, he's there. It's still that way. Anyways, he goes back home. His father sees him coming, and he's looking and waiting. Remember, he's showing the father's heart. Love keeps open arms. That's what love does. You have to let people go, but you have to be willing to, if they come back, here we are. Had a young man that I had uh, been an intern. I heard things about him. Hadn't seen him for a long time. He'd been away. Uh, not, not living the greatest, not living for God. Tell some friends at church one time. I said, uh, have you seen so-and-so? And they said, oh, yeah, I've seen him. I said, well, you tell him that his pastor's waiting for him like this. He said, okay. The next week he showed up. I said, here I am. Come for him. I'd like to say everything changed after that, but he hasn't. To my knowledge, not yet, but I didn't get in, in his way of coming to Jesus. The worst thing you can do is get in the way of somebody coming to Jesus. We don't, we don't want to do that. We want to point the way to Jesus, which is a privilege that we all get to do. You know, before he can say anything, the father's heart had compassion on him. He ran to him and he kissed him. Before he could finish his speech, because he, he does say, I've sinned against you. But before he can say, hire me as a hired servant, 
the father begins to restore him this mercy and grace. And says, come and let be merry. It means rejoice. Put yourself in a good frame of mind. Joy full in mind. But in verse 25, the older son gets offended. He comes back. Here's all the ruckus. What's going on? We had a brother who'd been far off was lost, and now we find out the brother who was near and was lost because all he saw was commandments. I, I, I did what you told me to do. It's not right. I was good. I never wasted your goods. He only saw a law. He didn't see the relationship. The father actually came out and pleaded with him to come in. Please, I want you to come in too, and let's rejoice together. Just like the Pharisees and scribes. <laughs> God loves the Pharisees and the scribes. Some of them did get saved. They aimed for the law and missed the spirit of the law. They refused the invitation, as many people do. Jesus came to show us the Father. That's what John 14 is all about, when Philip said, show us the Father. Have I been with you so long and you don't yet get that if you've seen the Father, you see me, you've seen the Father. Jesus expresses the heart of the Father, and so are we. So here's my question. I have three questions for us this morning to see how we're doing as disciples. It's called a heart check. All right, heart check. I want you to remember three things this morning. Heart check. It's how to keep our hearts big and soft. It's the hardest thing you ever do as a disciple of Jesus. To go through stuff, keep your heart big, keep your heart soft. This has been a journey for us over the last number of years. God spoke to this to us probably six years ago. And this is our lifetime journey now. How to not allow your heart to get hard, because when it gets hard and dry, it shrivels up, it gets small. You got to keep your heart big and soft no matter what you go through in life. And Jesus can help us. So first question, what's your expectation of God? How do you see him? Is he good? Do you know it? Do you really believe he is good? Don't tell me the scripture. I want to know if you actually believe it. No matter what happens to you, is God good? Because many people, they experience something bad in life, and then, how could a good God allow this? A good God will allow you to go to hell if that's your choice. But he is good. You have to settle that. He's good, even if you don't understand what's going on. And we've all been in situations where we're going, like, I don't get this. Like, you know, Romans 8, 28, Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who, uh, and, and Beth would go, would go through something, and my wife would say to me, it's all good, Steve. It's not good. It's not good. This is not good. That's not good. That's, God is good. This is not good. You know, what, what did Paul know? Paul was not writing somebody else's verse down. He was not quoting a passage, which is easy to do. That was his revelation. He had a revelation. No matter what happened to him, God was going to fulfill his purpose through him, period. That's why you could go through all the stuff that Paul went through. Because he knew that God was a good God and God was going to finish his purpose in him. Now, Jesus said, uh, Luke 18, 19, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. This was the questioning of a, of, a, of a man who was close to the kingdom because Jesus said, do you really believe that I'm good? Because only one is good, and that's God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9 says, for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. 
John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the bad shepherd. No, no, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Not a bad shepherd, he's a good shepherd. You gotta know this to your toes. No matter what you go through, because you're gonna go through disappointments and betrayal and offense and envy and jealousy and people calling you names, all kinds of stuff. But you gotta know God is, come on, good. Matthew 7, 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, I love the how much more language of the Bible, will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is not in heaven trying to figure out how to give you a bad gift. Any more than you, if you have children, you think about, I wonder what they would just hate to get on their birthday. <laughs> Let's get them that. How much fun will that? No, that's sick. That's sick. God's not like that. He's not trying to find out the worst gift. He gives good gifts. Why? Because God is good always. I want you to say it with me. God is good always. Doesn't matter if you get it, understand it, it makes sense. God is good. Second question. How do you respond when God blesses someone you do not think deserves it? Because that was their problem. These people didn't deserve his time. They wanted his time. And he wouldn't give it to them. But he gave it to the people who didn't deserve it but wanted it. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we have all like sheep have gone astray and we've all turned to his own way. I remember, I don't remember how long ago, but I remember reading my, uh, the, the newspaper one day, uh, a long time ago, and I read some really terrible stuff that people did to people. And I thought, how on earth could anyone ever do that? And I thought, wow, other than Jesus in my life, I could probably, I'm probably capable of doing that. I remember reading about, actually, the situation was my youngest daughter, who didn't sleep much, she had a lot of gas, and, and I was up five, six times a night with her for a long, long time. Long, 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 long time. And um, I would walk with her and, and then, and pray with her and sing and do all kinds of stuff and she did be screaming, I'm trying everything. And finally, I understand what people will do come weird stuff and crazy stuff with their kids that they never thought they would do. I actually put her on the floor, I walked away because I didn't trust myself because I was sleep deprived. You never know when you get under enough pressure what stupid things you might do. See, that's the reality. In Matthew 20, verse 1 to 16, there's, a, there's another parable Jesus tells about workers in the vineyard. And the, the vineyard owner goes out, and I'll just tell you quickly, that he, he goes out to, to hire people in the marketplace. And so at 6 o'clock in the morning, he hires some people. They agree to work for a denarius a day, which is uh, a day's wage. And uh, he, he, goes, he goes a little later at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's the third hour, they say. And uh, he finds some more people. He hires them. And so I'll give you at the end of the day what you, know, you deserve. And then at the sixth hour, he goes out. The ninth hour goes out. At eleventh hour, he goes out. So this is like five o'clock at night. They quit at six. They work six to six, just in case you're wondering how long the workday was. Um, and so they line up, and, and he starts giving everybody from the one who started just an hour before, gave them a denarius. Everybody got a denarius, including the ones that worked for 12 hours. And they complained. Do you know what that parable is about? It's about how 
who got saved first and how long you've been saved. Well, I've been saved for 15 years. I have seen people just get saved in a matter of months past people that have been saved for years because it was a choice and a decision and a hunger in their heart to get into the Word and allow God to do stuff and say, yes, God, whatever you want. Yes, God, whatever you want. I've seen that so many times over and over. See, see we don't get, I love this quote by Andrew Womack. He says, we do not get what we earn, we get what Jesus earned. It's just another way to say, we don't get what we deserve, we get what Jesus deserved. He took it on us, on for us. So it's not about us and them. It's Jesus and the rest of the world. And you can get saved today in your house, wherever you are. And I've been serving Jesus. Well, I got saved with 12, and I, it took that long because that's when they finally asked me, do you want to see Jesus as Lord? I said, well, yeah, of course. I probably would have done it earlier because my, my parents were Christians, my grandparents were Christians, and like real Christians, they actually went to church, read their Bible, loved Jesus. Filled the Spirit when I was 16, been serving God for, eh, except for this one year. That <laughs> when I was 18, it wasn't a good year. But see, we're all the same. We all need Jesus. And it doesn't matter how long you're saved, your hunger determines whether you eat. Your thirst determines whether you will drink. Humility continues to trust God. So don't worry about other people. That, that, that passage, Jesus said this, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. In other words, it's not about, you know, how long somebody just got saved. Everybody gets eternal life. It's the same. It's the same. Here's the third question. Can you rejoice with others as if it was yourself? Oh, wow. Because heaven's rejoicing. Somebody got saved. Yeah, but this is going on in my life, and it's going on. Yeah, they don't understand, and what about... No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Can you rejoice with others as it was yourself? Here's something that's supposed to be built into the infrastructure of the church to help us get used to that. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, all the members rejoice with those who are honored. If somebody gets honored, they get a new job, you're supposed to rejoice with them. Not wish it was you. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This goes on every week as we gather as the church. There are people who are weeping because it was not a good week. They lost somebody. There's grief going on. And somebody just got, had a baby. Somebody just got married. Somebody just got a promotion. There's always, always good and bad that's happening all the time. And we're supposed to enter into one another's joy and grief and rejoice with others. I had a pastor that, that had called me one day. We were talking about something. He says, hey, and he, he paused. I said, so what is it? Oh, I was going to share something with you. I said, go ahead, share. But he tentatively told me about how supernaturally their church building got paid off. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was smart enough to shout, hallelujah. And he goes, oh, good. I wasn't sure if I should tell you. I didn't know how you'd feel about it. Well, he didn't know if I'd get jealous. I'm going, no, that's great. If it happened to one, it can happen to two. It can happen to 200. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've had to talk people into giving their testimony about the goodness of God because they came out of bankruptcy and then look what God had done. But he didn't want to be in pride. So it's not about pride. People need the encouragement. They got to hear your story. Come on. You got to be able to rejoice with somebody like saying, whoa, God, you're no respecter of persons. It's not like, well, God loves them better than you. Like I thought that growing up. I'm number three boy. And I thought, well, my, 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 my oldest brother, he's kind of, 
you know, he loves the music thing and he kind of quiet. My, that's my dad's favorite. And my middle brother, you know, he, he does all the stuff with his hands. He's a hairdresser. He can do all kinds of stuff. He's very creative. I said, my mom's favorite. And then there's me and there's no more parents. <laughs> what a crazy, what a crazy thought. Like, you know, it's like, no, they love us all. They love us all a little different. So my own kids, I went, okay, well, Catherine's my firstborn, you know, and Bryce is my only son, and, and Caitlin's third, like me. That's how I tease my kids a little bit about it. But the reality was, we have to be able to rejoice with others. Because if we don't, we lose authentic Christianity, and we pretend, and we become our own hypocrites. And unfortunately, that happens. So don't blame Jesus if that happens. Just choose that you won't participate in that yourself. Continue to be real and authentic because nothing makes heaven rejoice like the lost being found, which is our mission. The greatest miracle is the lost being found, being redeemed, <laughs> restored, forgiven. And each one of us can be a part of that answer to help the lost be found and to actually make the worship in heaven pause Well, heaven rejoices over one. Can you imagine what happens on a Sunday, uh, whatever day that is around the world, that people are gathering and people are getting saved? Because people are getting saved every day. Perhaps that's why heaven rejoices and is filled with worship 24-7. Because somewhere in the world, right now, somebody who is lost, is being found because the Father's heart has reached out to them. Do you know how God does that primarily today? Oh, I know that there's supernatural uh, dreams that people are having to draw people to them, but predominantly, the Father's heart is shown through you and I. Uh, through imperfect people who just go, well, I don't know about that, no about that, but I know what God has done for me. I know what Jesus has done for me. I know the difference being in the way of Jesus than being in my own way. I tried that. It didn't work that great. But look what he has done. We are, we are in the middle of hard times, but great harvest comes in hard times because people will find that they are lost and maybe perhaps finally admit it. And as soon as they know they are lost, they can be found. God is always good, God is always merciful, and God is always seeking the lost. So let us help heaven rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that today, today your heart is open, your arms are wide to those who have not known you, but today open their heart to say, yeah, I'm lost. I, I accomplished this and that, and I thought that would do, but it still has not done it. Jesus, we thank you that you have a way that's open to all who will call upon your name and say, here I am. Thank you, Father, that you have called each one of us who are followers of Jesus to help heaven rejoice and to share and express your heart the world that is around us. We thank you that you filled us with your spirit and you empowered us by your own strength to do just that for your honor and glory and to make heaven 
rejoice today, we pray. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.